Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk with Susan Che, whose agency runs a website Ohioans turn to for legal help, which includes downloading needed documents for legal cases. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend has an update on train safety, a possible expansion of Amtrak in Ohio and the conviction of former Ohio House Speaker Larry Householder in his racketeering trial. And I'll wrap up the hour talking about the explosion of sports betting in Ohio as March Madness continues and how people can get help if they get in too deep. First up on Columbus Perspective on the phone with me, Susan Che, who is the Executive Director of Ohio Legal Help. How are you? Good, and Dave, thanks for having us on again. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us what Ohio Legal Help is. Sure. So Ohio Legal Help, which you can find at ohiolegalhelp.org, is a nonprofit, but we're a website that's available 24-7 for you on your mobile phone to answer legal questions and connect you to attorneys and also to connect you to local social services agencies that can help you. It is uh, packed full of information, and as you indicated, it does help locally. Folks can hone in on their own area to get uh, specific help from their area. Yeah, so during the height of the um, pandemic, for instance, when folks were facing eviction, we helped over 20,000 Ohioans um, prevent eviction. And then, you know, all through until, like, and still, actually, we're helping folks get to their local rental assistance, although that is not as available as it was, obviously, during the pandemic. And it kind of gives you an interesting insight into what sorts of legal problems people are mulling in Ohio. What seems to be uh, driving it these days? So um, it's, it's, you know, during the pandemic, it was a lot of, I would say, bread and butter issues, right? Like we had at some point, you know, a ton of folks on our SNAP page, you know, unemployment, um, eviction and housing, right? Right now, what we're seeing is kind of a return to normal, like what we saw before the pandemic. We're seeing a lot of folks on our family law pages, you know, they're, you know, maybe they're contemplating divorce. They're looking at dissolution because, you know, even before we built, we knew that that's kind of where the biggest gap was, if you will, in terms of folks needing help but maybe couldn't afford an attorney. And so we're seeing a lot of return to our family law pages, custody, divorce, dissolution. The pandemic put everybody behind in every category. And in a lot of ways, the world is still trying to catch up. And now, you know, we've had the the problems with staffing issues and all that. Are the courts still bogged down trying to recover from all that? You know, I, I think the courts are recovering. I think so. I say this with everyone, right? Be patient. Give them a little bit of grace. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're having the same type of staffing issues everybody else is, right? But they are trying to, um, you know, staff up again and staff, you know, appropriately. Um, and, you know, and also there were some additional grant dollars that became available through the state that's now going to some of the courts to help folks with backlog as well. So, you know, we're all still catching our breath a little bit, but um, I always say be patient, but they are really staffing back up again. And Ohio Legal Help has always, along the way, been kind of branching out into more areas to help folks. And you mentioned family living, and that's one area that you're continuing to expand. 
Yeah, through, through a really generous grant from the Supreme Court of Ohio, we um, we worked with um, partners like you know magistrates who see these. Uh, we call them kinship care cases, but some folks might refer to them as private custody. But folks have probably have seen this in the media. This is where maybe it's primarily a grandparent, right, taking care of a kinship child, so a minor child, who maybe their parents right now can't take care of them. You know, we saw this a lot during. Um, you know, well, the op- opioid issue is still continuing, but folks saw a lot of media attention to this. So I think in Ohio there's over 225,000 kinship situations or families, um, and the vast majority are grandparents. So we wanted to build legal information for them and also how they can get some additional support through some benefits through the state. And this is kind of neat because as I was reading through this, the first thing that popped into my head is, you know, if you buy a house or move uh, to a new rental in a different city from where you live now, when you get there, one of the things you have to do is, or before you even move there, is look on that city's website to find out who the electric provider is and what kind of cable might be available and all that kind of stuff. And so if you're taking in a grandchild who you're becoming responsible for, you kind of have to do the same thing in terms of caring for them, find out what's available and, and who they are. Yeah, and, it, and it's there's so many things, right? So with, um, um, and we offer lots of different things for grandparents because um, grandparents in a way have more options. So just like you said, you know, you have a grandchild you love that moves in with you. Well, you got to get them into school, right? right? Um, and to do that, schools need some legal document that says you have the right to have some type of maybe custodial relationship, I'm going to say, but there's a difference between that and legal custody, right? And so you have to get your documents in order. And what we've done is put it like in a easy way to navigate so that grandparents can decide, okay, got grandkid now. I need to get grandkid in school. So I'm going to go ahead and go to the, we have a kinship grandparent page that talks about two kind of beginning steps you can take, which is either a power of attorney or an affidavit. We explain the differences so you can get, you know, grandkid in school, right? But then you may decide, you know what, I think we have to look at potentially getting legal custody so we can, you know, maybe get some additional benefits. And so to do that, they can actually come to our website. We explain how to do that. And then for all 88 counties in Ohio, Dave, so my staff went through all 88 counties, um, and what we do is we say this is what the court suggests that you use for this particular form. So um, we did that because, you know, we have 88 counties, home rule, you know, so we had to kind of figure out a little bit about what each county does on the ground. It's tremendous because uh, I, I would guess a lot of times in these kinds of situations, there's been either some sort of an ongoing tragedy uh, or something tragic has happened, maybe a death from an accident or it could be, you know, a drug addiction or a, some kind of another legal problem that has resulted in this setup in the family. Yeah, you know, when, when my folks design and when my folks think about what they're writing, they often think about, you know, whether it's, it's someone who may be facing something that they've never had to face this before, and their minds are, they don't know where to start, right? So we, we try to think of it as if someone needed just that first step to take or that first two steps, 
how are we going to get them there? And so it's exactly like you say, Dave. You know, it's someone who is potentially in crisis. You know, they may have their own child that's in crisis that they're trying to get help for, but right now they need to focus on that grandkid. So what we try to do is say, here's where to start and here's what to do to get started. And this is a scenario that's happening, from what I've read, maybe more than ever. And the difference, too, is that, you know, 50 years ago, it was it just seemed more ingrained in families. You know, nursing homes were kind of a new concept 60 years ago. So the whole family structure was more predictable, I think, you know, a long time ago than it is these days. And and yet now this is kind of coming full circle, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, it's it's families, I always say, are are complex and we're just trying to do the best that we can to support them. You know, I think the pandemic also really exacerbated a lot of these things. You know, um, you know, the opiate epidemic got worse in some ways during the pandemic, you know, with the isolation. And so, you know, this was always needed. Um, but in particular now, we think it's a good time that this information, so centralized, so easy to find, so easy to navigate, you know, on your phone. I always say we build for your phone, so 24-7 on your phone. Um, and, and you know, we've had some really great partners, you know, like I said, um, court magistrates who see these families every day who said, thank you for doing this, and also, can we include this information? Because, you know, our information is really the product of all the partners and folks who help us, like the magistrates on the court. Um, you know, we just got some feedback from, you know, ODJFS. You know, everyone wants to support these families with good information. So I want to put a shout out to those partners along with the Supreme Court as well. Talking with Susan Che, the executive director of Ohio Legal Help, how uh, do you have partnerships with, uh, you know, I don't know, like uh, legal aid societies or individual lawyers? How does all that work on the other end? Yeah, legal aid actually is, is um, we have... Um we have an advisory committee, and Legal Aid is on that advisory committee, but we also meet regularly with Legal Aid as well through regular meetings with them where they give us feedback on what they're seeing on the ground. That you know, Legal Aid you know, sees a lot of the same folks that we're trying to help, right, low-income folks who are vulnerable, who are underserved. And so um, we do have a regular partnership and alliance with um, Legal Aid throughout the state. Um, but we also work with private bar associations as well and individual attorneys who are experts in these areas. And so um, we're actually working on right now, we get a lot of questions about employment law from benefits, like does my employer need to offer this benefit, those types of things. And so we're actually working with a wonderful group of private attorneys. And and Dave, when we launch that, uh, we'll give you a shout out as well. What about if uh, somebody is, you know, I don't know if they're going through, it could be a divorce or uh, some sort of a, maybe even a criminal issue where they're not happy with their lawyer, but maybe their deadlines are running out and and they need another lawyer or the timing of everything is off and they're in a panic. So we, we do provide how to connect to attorneys on our site. So um, there's a header on our site that always has about us, but one of our most popular pages is something called Find a Lawyer. Um, and so if you click on that on our site, Find a Lawyer, um, it will actually, and you put, give us your county, um, we will show you both essentially the legal aid organizations, um, which again, for low-income folks, and then we'll also show you all the private bar association lawyer referral services for your area where you can contact them. Now, if you're, you know, if 
you need to switch attorneys, that can present some ethical issues. So, but, so if you are trying to do that, just make sure that if you contact an attorney, they know that because they need to um, give you some instructions uh, before they can actually even speak with you. Uh, but generally, if you want to find a lawyer, just click on find a lawyer on our page. Okay. And uh, did you recently also add for Spanish-speaking folks? We, we did. Um, actually, in, in about six months ago, our entire site was translated into Spanish. Um, and so um, folks who already read Spanish language content, when they come to our site, it'll automatically be translated. But for folks who want to translate our site, we have a little... It's called a language switcher in the upper right-hand corner. You'll see it whether you're on your mobile phone or... Um, or desktop, and you just click on that, and it will translate our entire site into Spanish. So over, um, it's it's more than this now, but about probably about a quarter million words and counting as, as of now um, that were translated on the site. Wow, ain't technology great? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was hand done, but um, we, we wanted to make sure it was done right. But right. yeah, partially technology and then a lot of human power as well. Yeah, that's well. I'm going to sound like an old fogey here when I talk about the pre-internet days because I remember them so well. This is a stunning availability compared to what folks might have been doing 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah, I mean, we we have really benefited from good technology, right? I, and this is, I think, Ohio Legal Help is a good balance of using technology and human judgment. I always say, right? Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know if we could have done this even a decade ago in the way that we're doing it, right? I mean, we have, like, for instance, um, you know, on our site, we have, you know, like, you can fill out your divorce forms by us asking you information, like, tell us your name, tell us your spouse's name, and then we get that information once. You know how, like, TurboTax does it? And then at the end, we take that information and we use technology to fill out all the right forms for you. I mean, I don't know. I don't think we could have done that 10 years ago. Right. Um, we've talked about this before that, you know, the the whole legal system, I mean, when you, th- when you think about at least the level of awareness that folks have now about it has come, starting with shows like Judge Wapner and Judge Judy, you know, that introduce people to how small claims courts work, and that yeah. that kind of opened the floodgates in a way. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Um, I, I think, too, like shows, like just TV gives folks a, a different perception of the law, right? Um, but, you know, what I always say, the folks that, like, are in the system every day, like folks, you know, with family law issues, housing law issues, I, I'm not sure if that gets covered as well, right? right? Just how much help those folks need. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Talking with uh, Susan Che, she is the executive director of Ohio Legal Help. Any other aspects you want to talk about? No, other than, you know, I would invite folks, you know, if you have a family member who might need some information on kinship or a family member or yourself, you need information on, you know, whether it's like how to connect with a lawyer, we do that really well. Or, you know, you have an issue that maybe you're helping mom and dad, you know, who's a senior with an issue, um, you know, whatever it is, our site probably has information that will give you a way to start at least. And so I would, you know, encourage folks to encourage other folks come to the site. Again, we're at ohiolegalhelp.org. Okay. How many folks are turning to this uh, for help? I know you kind of keep track of that. We do. Uh, we helped nearly 800,000 folks last calendar year. We, wow. we, we should probably exceed that this calendar year. Our goal is to serve 1 million families in 2023. Um, and 
generally, again, you know, I say one million families because our data shows that they are families, generally households of three or more. So, you know, in terms of the folks that benefit, it's like three million folks who benefit. Fantastic. Uh, Again, Susan Che, she's the executive director of Ohio Legal Help. It's ohiolegalhelp.org. Thanks for your time today and all the information. Thanks, Dave. And again, thanks for having us on again. Opiates has taken everything and everyone I've ever loved away from me. Everything. I blew my ankle out and I got prescribed pain pills by my doctor. If making my detox public is going to help somebody, I'm all for it. I just wish I would have had a warning. Opioid dependence can happen after just five days. Know the truth. Spread the truth. A message from Truth, the Ad Council, and ONDCP. Sweet strawberry icing. You were strolling along in goodwill when just past that mid-century side table and denim jacket you spotted them, nestled in their display case. Miniature donut earrings. Oh, yes! Yes! Your favorite half-breakfast pastry, half-all-day dessert food made into your favorite form of ear candy. Oh, my. Those bejeweled sprinkles have satisfied some unknown hunger within you. Shh, do you smell that? That's the sugary scent of shopping success. For this is Goodwill. And with every item you buy, you fund local job training and more. So go forth. Bring home those donut earrings. And bring home so much good to your community. Goodwill. Bring good home. Brought to you by Goodwill and the Ad Council. This week on Face the State, the rail safety scramble. Lawmakers in the nation's capital and here in our state need to talk about how to move forward. This is going to be a marathon, so we got to slow down. we got to process the data. We have to do a lot more testing. And we're having all kinds of hiccups. My one-on-one with the man who represents the small town at the State House. His message for the railroad and the nation. Anything you want to say to the people of Ohio? Yeah, I remain committed to the people of Ohio. I've always been committed to the people of Ohio. It's a historic Ohio case. Two once political heavy hitters found guilty. Now the questions. What's next for Ohio politics? And can we expect an appeal? And we are going to show you a new investment in the success of black-owned businesses in Columbus. Face the State starts now. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. morning and thank you for joining us here on Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. We start this morning with the growing pressure on the Norfolk Southern Railroad. Federal regulators are opening a special investigation into the company's safety practices after a series of train derailments, including those in East Palestine, Springfield, Ohio, and Alabama. Ohio State legislators are also working to hold the railroad accountable. The railroad announced plans to develop a safety training center in Ohio and conduct additional research into enhancing its defect detectors along the tracks. The railroad's CEO testified before Congress facing pressure about the environmental impact and public outcry from the people who live in the communities where the trains have derailed. 
Norfolk Southern CEO Alan Shaw told senators his company is sorry for last month's toxic train derailment in East Palestine. He pledged more than $20 million to the region and residents. We're going to be there for as long as it takes to help East Palestine thrive and recover. Norfolk Southern has announced several voluntary safety upgrades. The CEO was pressured about how safe East Palestine is for the people who live there. Senator, um, the EPA and the high EPA have very high standards, and I trust their testing. And would you live there, given what you've seen? Yes, sir. Okay. I believe that the air is safe. I believe that the water is safe. There are hundreds of tests. Okay. There are millions of data points. Okay. They all put to the same thing. And I okay. genuinely enjoy okay. my conversations with the folks in East Palestine. Earlier this month, a bipartisan group of senators unveiled a new rail safety bill. Will you commit to supporting the Bipartisan Railway Safety Act and help restore the public's trust in your company? Senator, there are a number of provisions that we would absolutely support. Those include tighter standards for tank cars the railroads don't own, expanded hazardous materials training for first responders, and standards for detectors used to spot problems along the track. Republican senators also criticized the responsiveness of the EPA. The agency recently paused the removal of toxic soil in order to confirm facilities that process the soil are federally compliant. We expect waste to be moving perhaps as soon as today, to other facilities. Several East Palestine residents attended the hearing, including homeowner Aaron Stauffer. You know, our, our property values are, are nothing right now. You know, even if we didn't feel safe and wanted to leave the area, I don't even know how we would do it. Back in East Palestine, Eric Whiting says he doesn't trust testing that shows no harmful levels of toxins. He's still only drinking bottled water. So in the ideal world, you'd want Norfolk Southern to buy you out. I would love to be bought out and I would love to walk away. So far, he has not received an offer. And in addition to the hearings in Washington, D.C. over the past week, lawmakers at the Ohio State House held hearings on this, too. The Select Committee on Railroad Safety is holding weekly hearings following the derailments. They questioned the directors of the Health Department and Transportation Department, specifically about the resources available to the people who live in the East Palestine community. Of course, part of it is doing what we need to to hold Norfolk Southern accountable for the costs of this. And from the Department of Health's point of view, you know, we're looking at one sliver of that, but um, a, a lot of that cost for us relates to the cost of not only this clinic as it is now, but as we want to transition it into an ongoing resource for continuity care in that community. Um, we, we really don't envision that clinic going way. We would like for it to be something that uh, becomes a medical home for some, but a continuing resource for all uh, as it relates uh, to this. I talked with State Senator Michael Ruley, the vice chair of the Senate Select Committee and the lawmaker who represents State Senate District 33, which is home to East Palestine. 
Well, I would say the number one thing that's affected is the anxiety that the people that actually live there. You know, we have about 2,100 homes and about 5,000 in the immediate area, about two miles outside of ground zero. And then you have Nagley and you have Crestview. So now you're up to about seven or 8,000. So the anxiety levels through the roof. Uh, there's a lot of mixed messages that are going on. That's why you see I'm always requesting more scientists to go there. We were lucky enough to have Texas A&M and Carnegie come. So we need more of that. What are you hearing um, that you can take home to your constituents? Well, I, I think if I had to say a message to the constituents about how we move forward is this is going to be a marathon. So we've got to slow down. We've got to process the data. We have to do a lot more testing. And we're having all kinds of uh, hiccups and bumps in the road as far as not having the manpower to test the wells into the water and the septic like we should. Just had a beautiful meeting with Ann, the director of the Ohio EPA. She's going to bring resources in from surrounding uh, counties that are going to come and help us test at a quicker pace. And I think when all that starts to fall in line, you're going to see the anxiety calm down a little bit. What are your thoughts on the work that Vance and Brown are doing, this bipartisan committee that they're trying to, this legislation? I love it. I just, I mean, you know, politics get ugly and, you know, we all live in this world and it's something that's not fun. But I think America is so great when you see these disasters, you know, you look at 9-11, we unite, you know, and you look at this derailment, there's no R's or D's. I mean, when I'm in that town and there's a lot of, you know, D's and R's in that town, I don't care what you are. We just want to make you right. And the closer you get to ground zero, the, the bigger the problem is. Do you feel like th there are actual concrete steps being made to to regain, restore the confidence that people have there? I mean, I saw people saying they weren't sure they were going to be able to go back. Um, do you feel like that's something that could happen? I, I think when you look at this earth and if we put our, roll our sleeves up and get working hard, I think we can get it back to where it needs to be. Our entire interview will be on the 10 TV app. 10 Investigates was on the ground in East Palestine, speaking with people who live near the crash, as well as the government official promising help. Chief Investigator Bennett Haberly is joining us this morning on Face the State. We really appreciate you being here and your insight. Well, oh, thanks for having me. All right, so let's go back to, let's go to East Palestine and right. what Senator Rooley refers to as ground zero, because people there... They want answers and they want that help to stay there, as they keep saying, long after the cameras are gone. It's, it's so true. There are two things, I think, that are emerging out of East Palestine still, mm -hmm. even a month after this has happened. You have a large sense of frustration from the people who live there, and then you still have this mistrust, the fact that despite that what the EPA has said, that the tests for air monitoring, for soil monitoring, that the municipal water is safe to, is safe to drink, despite all of that, you still have this feeling, this unspoken feeling among the people who live there who say, I'm still going to drink bottled water. I still don't feel comfortable drinking or using municipal water. And they still have these long-term health concerns. And while, you know, they've complained initially about things like headaches and sore throats and rashes, and the mayor even said he wants to get to the bottom of what's causing that. Um, you know, despite all these tests that have come through and... Uh, 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 we just heard from uh, the state lawmaker there who referenced the fact that Carnegie Mellon and Texas A&M had come in and done independent testing, and they found that uh, th what their readings were were very closely uh, mirrored what the EPA found, which was that there weren't levels that were um, beyond normal, with the exception of acrolein, which can be problematic. Mm -hmm. And then we also heard from the CEO of Norfolk Southern in Washington, D.C., and many people questioning 
his what they perceive perhaps is as a lack of commitment to right these uh, Palestinians. right i mean the words he used several times during his testimony this week were I'm committed to do the right thing. And lawmakers continue to press him on what exactly that means. Are you going to commit to pay for the long-term health care costs? Are you going to pay to uh, for the loss of uh, the devaluation of their properties? He would not commit to those specific things, uh, just saying, I'm going to commit to do the right thing. And that was something I, I spoke with a, a woman who we had interviewed a couple of weeks ago in East Palestine, and she said she and her husband feel stuck. They know that their, their property has lost value. Uh, they don't have the ability, they feel like, to take out a second mortgage. And so now they're just left with these questions on what are the long-term health impacts going to be? And and two, will the rail company step up and actually pay uh, these people, um, make them whole again? One of the things Senator Rowley talked about with me was um, how bipartisan this effort is. And I wanted to uh, close out our chat here about uh, talking about that, but also the balance of power. What can state lawmakers really do in the face of um, the fact that the railroads, that's federal monitoring. Yes, and, and to borrow a pun here, there are seriously two tracks going on. There's the effort in the state house to effect change, and you've got some opposition that's going on right now, especially from the Ohio Rail Association, who has come out and said, this isn't the proper venue. Any change is likely going to happen on the federal level, and so that's where you see the efforts by Senators J.D. Vance and Senator Brown to put forth this these rail safety enhancements, and uh, you know they've got three Republicans, three Democrats. It, it appears to be a bipartisan bill. There are some uh, some portions of it that uh, the CEO, Alan Shaw, said that he would um, go along with. Mm-hmm. However, he would not commit to uh, to other things mm-hmm. that, are, that are in the bill. I do think, you know, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, if you live near a train track, drive near one, you're going to be looking at the trains a little differently after all of this. Right. Right. It's not something that happened overnight. We've seen this over and over again, where derailments have caused problems in, in towns all over our country. Yep. All right. Ten Investigates Chief. Bennett Haberly joining us on Face the Say. Thank you. Great Thank to have you, you here. Now, we can expect several updates from the crash site, the Ohio State House, and even Washington, D.C. There will be additional hearings in both capitals. All right, the other big headline this morning the state's largest corruption case ever. After seven weeks of trial, a dozen jurors convicted former State House Speaker. Larry Householder and ex-Ohio Republican Party Chair Matt Borges in a $60 million bribery scheme. Prosecutors say Householder orchestrated a scheme with money paid by First Energy Energy through dark money groups. The funding helped to elect him speaker. He then passed a billion-dollar bailout bill, the vast majority of which benefited First Energy. Jurors found Householder made more than 500000 from that deal. Here's the former speaker moments after that verdict came in. Yeah, I remain committed to the people of Ohio. I've always been committed to the people of Ohio. And uh, I think that uh, the justice system is what it is. And there's a process. This is one step to the process. And we're going to utilize every process we can in the judicial system until we get it right. Householder and Borges face up to 20 years in prison. Both men plan to appeal. Before that verdict was announced, I spoke with David DeVillers, the former U.S. attorney who oversaw the indictment. I tried. They were out for six days. Okay, so it's it's there during instructions. This was the case I tried was a lot longer. It had some substantive counts as well. But, you know, they went through every count, every overt act. And I think there's 50 something or maybe something over at Axe in this case. You know, so they're going to go through all of those and, and decide if there are at least two that, that 
these individuals were are, were were guilty of of committing. So it could be it could be in an hour, it could be in a week. The dark money. There's a there's something there for I think the public probably to have a better understanding of. Would you? What's your What are your thoughts on that? I agree, and in fact, a lot of people don't understand kind of these five hundred one c fours dark money groups. And the the bottom line is. It, it's an unlimited amount of money that goes to these 501c4s um, with no requirement to to name their their the donors. So they could be huge corporations, they could be large scale billionaires. Um, unlike super PACs that are regulated by the FEC, where they have to name the donors, you know, so you know what's going to the super PAC, and for 501c4s you don't. The law says that it can't. Its main uh, purpose can't be political. But that's not how they're being. No one's enforcing it. The IRS is not enforcing 51C4. So a lot of times the main purpose is political. But even if they follow the regulations, if they spend 49% attacking or supporting a particular candidate, that's fine as far as how the law is written. And then 51% could be you know, supporting an issue. And there's kind of a blurry line there. So these are kind of the new super PACs with you know with special sauce the special sauce being they don't have to name their donors so why wouldn't you use this and there's again like tomorrow we could end 51c4s if congress were to do it but there's no political will to do it because both republicans and democrats have 51c4s and by the way you're not supposed to control a 51c4 it's not supposed to inure to the benefit of an individual particularly a politician but they do and, and everyone does. Everyone knows there's a 51C4 that's going to support a particular politician. And all the, the energy companies and lobbyists know who to donate, don which 51C4 to donate to if they want to gain the favor of that particular politician. And then that hits those of us on Main Street because it may be something. I mean, this was energy, but I mean, it could be where your kids go to school or any kind of thing. Anytime you see a billboard that's attacking or supporting a politician and it says some sort of uh, 501c4 with always, always have the most bizarre names, right? Like, you know, Ohio citizens for goodness, you know, anything like that, you know, just be suspicious of that and ask, hey, who put up that billboard and where did the money come for, from to do that? And radio ads, television ads, it, uh, just be suspicious when you see those. Both men could face up to 20 years in prison. And again, they do plan to appeal the conviction. Count on 10 TV to stay on this case and to give you any updates. Well, it's all aboard for Amtrak, or so it seems. The renewed push to expand passenger rail through Columbus. And what's at stake for the governor? This is a tremendous legacy for him, uh, you know, both personally and, and professionally. Where the proposal is this morning and what could stand in the way? And the battle for abortion rights, the group hitting the streets soon, and what they say they want to see happen in Ohio. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and 
thanks for listening. Need to visit the Ohio BMV? Go online first. It could save you a trip. It's now easier and more convenient than ever to get what you need from the BMV online. Need to renew your driver's license? Renew online. And if you need to renew your vehicle registration, visit one of our new BMV Express kiosks or go online. If you do need to visit a BMV agency, use the Get In Line online tool, also found on the website, to save your spot and minimize your time waiting. For more services available online, check out bmv.ohio.gov. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Amtrak's train horns could be blasting through central Ohio again for the first time in more than 40 years. This month, the Ohio House passed a transportation budget, which will include paying for the new line. Amtrak wants to connect Cincinnati to Cleveland by way of Dayton and Columbus. There would be three daily round trips. A second line could connect Cleveland to Detroit. But there's been talk about new trains for years. Could it actually happen this time? Here's Stu Richardson with All Aboard Ohio, the primary group pushing for Amtrak expansion. I think more so than back when we actually won funding, um, because even then it was a case of, well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll believe it when we see it. And, but I think the game changer, both nationally and for Ohio, was the fact that the federal government put uh, just an incredible amount of money on the table for passenger rail. Until recently, Ohio lawmakers have not really shown much interest in expanding passenger rail, most notably in 2011. Then-Governor John Kasich was among a few Republican governors who turned down federal funding that had been previously agreed to by their Democratic predecessors. Governor Mike DeWine could have a lot to gain if the expansion passes. Governor DeWine, when he was a member of the U.S. House of Representatives and later as a U.S. Senator, was pretty consistently supportive of Amtrak as a, as a as a transportation entity. Always voted in favor of their of their budgets. Um, always you know helped beat back some of the attempts to to zero out that budget. Um, and and so we had we had at least a degree of confidence that even though he had been hesitating for a while, that he eventually was going to you know to get on board and really push for this. Um, I mean it, you know if all of this comes you know, comes to reality, this is a tremendous legacy for him, uh, you know, both personally and, and professionally. Um, to be the governor that brought passenger rail back in a big way to Ohio would be, that's quite a feather in anybody's cap. Governor DeWine has asked for the Rail Development Commission to apply for federal grants, saying last month it was the first step in the process and that there are many questions that need answers before the state makes any commitments. The state Senate will now consider the transportation funding bill. It's estimated that the economic impact for that single line would be $130 million annually and more than $2.5 billion from the one-time investment in building the line. The Ohio Attorney General's office approved language in an abortion protection petition. It's part of an amendment that could be on the November ballot. Attorney General Dave Yost determined the summary submitted by a pair of abortion rights groups is fair and in accordance with Ohio law. The ballot board approved and organizers can start collecting signatures to get it on the ballot. 
We'll be following this and let you know what happens. Three years since our world changed, the COVID shutdown started this time in 2020. The impact of COVID-19 on our state is far-reaching. Nearly 3.4 million cases, and even lately, Ohio continues to report close to 10,000 new cases each week. 41,000 Ohioans dead, the same as the entire population of Grove City, or Delaware, and more than 100,000 other people forced to stay in the hospital. But the fight against COVID-19 has changed. Yes, still out there. The virus may not be part of our everyday lives. And that's thanks to the vaccines and how the virus has changed itself. Columbus Public Health Commissioner Dr. Mashika Roberts says that we're starting to normalize some practices in public health that public health advocates have been talking about for years. Wash your hands, use hand sanitizer, stay home when you're sick, and really questioning those symptoms. Is this something infectious? You know, and now that we can do at-home testing, it's so convenient. And I'm hoping that maybe we can expand some of that at-home testing to other infectious diseases like the flu. Still ahead this morning on Face the State, how Central Ohio businesses are getting a little help for their big ideas. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. 911, what is your emergency? My kid shot himself. All right, where's the wounds? 911, what's your emergency? Please help. My, my son shot his brother. I Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and End Family Fire. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Welcome back. Fifth Third Bank is making an investment in the success of black-owned businesses in Columbus. Fifth Third awarded two Near East Side businesses each a $5,300 grant. The money comes through an initiative called the Empowering Black Futures Capital Readiness Program. This year's recipients are Arthur Norman Jr., owner of Dipped Custom Prints, and Antoinette Parks of Chef Butcher's Creole Kitchen, a business her father started in the Bronzeville King Lincoln District nearly 17 years ago. I am honored to be a recipient of this program. Um, it's a great opportunity for us, marketing-wise, educational-wise, because you can never stop learning. So it's just another opportunity for me to expand on my knowledge uh, running a restaurant. It gives us power to uh, be able to contribute to renovating our building. It gives us power to buy new tools. Um, it gives us power to be able to save. The business owners will also receive guidance from small business coaches to strengthen key areas that will really help them prepare for additional growth capital. Well, it has certainly been a week. We look forward to the next week. And thank you for joining us here today on Face the State. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just got to hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. <laughs> no, you hold my hand. 
Here we go. <laughs> Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. I learned patience from my adoptive dad. All he had to say was, Hey, you got this. Just breathe. Hey. <laughs> We're pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Might have to start a band. <laughs> I got it. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. <laughs> Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. We don't want you on our team. You're too slow and fat. This is weight bias. I'm worried about your weight. Don't you care what other people think? Millions who live and are affected by obesity face weight bias every day. You're not the right fit for this job. Unfair judgment by others. Just stop eating so much and exercise some. You lose all this weight. These people often blame themselves. It's just me. Nobody likes me. I do exercise and eat right. And I talk to my doctor. Weight bias hurts. Everyone deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. Your words and actions matter. Let's stop weight bias. Let's work together. Be part of the solution. Go to StopWeightBias.com and learn more. A public service message from Obesity Action Coalition. We put our lives on the line for our country. We braved the unknown. We did what we were told. And we lit up. Our cigarette packs were as valuable as the packs on our back. Maybe more. At one point, cigarettes were part of our daily ration. Smoke them if you got them. And boy, we were smoking them. Bumming a smoke was the norm. It was an escape from the reality of dirt, sweat, and forgetting how many days you were so far from home. Never had to worry so long as you had a light. And the smoking lamp was lit. If that was you then, get your lungs screened now. Surviving lung cancer starts with a scan. Learn more at ScreenYourLungs.org. And thank you for your service. This PSA was made possible by industry funding and guidance from lung cancer patient groups. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone is Derek Longmire, who is the executive director of the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio. How are you doing? I'm well, thanks. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us about the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio. We are a statewide organization that was founded in 2010, dedicated to really making sure that uh, individuals who need support for their gambling problem have a, a place to get it. Boy, we've come a long way since 2010, haven't we? <laughs> Our environment looks a little different. <laughs> <laughs> Now, the word came out uh, about a month ago, I guess, that Ohio is, was number two in the month of January for uh, sports betting, $1.1 billion. Did that surprise you? It did. We knew that sports betting would be um, pretty popular in Ohio, and we knew it would be a, a big market. But 
that billion dollar number is way bigger than I anticipated. New York was number one at 1.8 billion. Next came Ohio at 1.1. Right behind us, New Jersey at 1.08, and then Nevada 936 million, Pennsylvania 772 million. So the top five states, more than five and a half billion dollars. Needless to say, this is a huge industry. Indeed. That means the state then picked up, I guess, about 20 million off that. Is that right? In one month? Yeah, I believe that's the report that uh, was presented by the Casino Control Commission. Okay, and some of that does go to your organization to help people who have problems with this, right? None of the funds so far from sports betting have been allocated to Problem Gambling Network of Ohio. I don't know what what the funds will be spent with yet, but part of the 2% of the casino tax revenue uh, that is generated goes to our agency to support the work that we do. Okay. And so uh, with the number uh, being um, even more than you thought, and I saw one report that said Ohio could end up with like $8 billion spent by the end of the year, and now we're into March Madness, so we're, we're right in the thick of this thing right now. Yeah, and March Madness has historically been an important time for us as it corresponds with Problem Gambling Awareness Month, which is also in March. So as we uh, look at following all of our, our favorite teams and watching the basketball games, now there's a, a new ability to to further engage with those players. I guess that the majority of people that are placing these bets are, are using their phones or their mobile devices to do it, right? Yeah, it, from the report that was provided by the Casino Control Commission, I believe around 95% of um, mobile of sports betting for January was conducted through mobile. Okay, and your organization doesn't take a stand on whether uh, sports betting is right or wrong. You're just simply wanting to be there to help folks who get into trouble with it. Yep, you're absolutely right. So we are not for or against uh, legalized forms of gambling in the state. We just want to make sure that there's appropriate consumer protections in place, and we recognize that some individuals will experience problems, and we also want to make sure that there's resources available for those that do. And you're, I guess, getting an uptick in activity trying to help people because more people are turning for help. Is that right? Yes. As we look at the call volume from the Ohio Problem Gambling Helpline, uh, that, and that number is 800 589 we saw a substantial increase in the number of calls uh, in the last two months compared to the January and February of 2022. And even we've seen a, a large increase of calls from the end of, of 2022. Is it too early to say whether or not sports betting is driving some of that? Is it uh, because it just started? So, or have people kind of fallen off the deep end already through this? It's it certainly... Uh, I'm not a statistician, but looking at just the call volume in December where there were 635 calls to almost 1,500 calls in January, and the only difference in availability is through sports betting, I can only assume that that has led to that increased call and demand. Uh, Another opportunity, though, is through all the marketing and messaging that we're receiving for sports betting. They're required to have either our state number or the national problem gambling helpline number 800-GAMBLER on all messages. So that's certainly allowing for more visibility and really letting Ohioans know that help is available for those that need it. Talking with Derek Longmire, Executive Director of the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio, you know, I can see the beginning of conversations between couples or families that start with something like, when it comes to all this sports betting, you did what or what happened here? Uh, (laughs) As the start of truly earth-shaking news uh, that goes on in families. And gambling has always been a hidden addiction, but previously you had to go somewhere in order to engage in it. And that really is a concern for mobilized sports betting and that you could 
simply be sitting across the, the dinner table. Uh, I could be betting on uh, games and you would have no idea. So that just further underscores the importance of having those important conversations with loved ones about uh, gambling and making sure that they are uh, gambling, if they are gambling, gambling within their limits. And then also from those, the family perspective of having a really good sense of finances because I hear time and time again of stories of um, spouses that say, I had no idea and I have my spouse take care of all the finances and it wasn't until my car was getting repossessed or my, my home was being foreclosed upon that I realized that there was a problem at all. And the problem, too, is that, you know, when we looked at that $1.1 billion in gambling, there were something like, I don't remember the number, I think it was over $800 million in winnings, which means that, you know, for every five bucks that people are betting, they might get three and a half or four bucks back. But <laughs> that's still you're, that's still a losing scenario. Yeah, and I think that's why it's always important just to be really mindful of what the odds of winning are. And especially if you look at some of those parlays, your odds are it's a really long shot. So if that just helps you engage in the game and you feel a little bit more part of the action, then great, do that. But if this is a endeavor for you to try to make money, the odds are not in your favor. What about the draw on kids through this? Is it? Uh, I, I know that I've talked in the past with you and others about how you know there are video games that look like slot machines that kids can play, and that that's troubling. Does sports betting have any kind of a hook with kids? That's certainly an area that we are following closely, and so far in the U.S. at least, there's not been a lot of data on it. And as we look at just legalized forms of sports betting outside of Nevada, sports betting wasn't legal until 2018. So this is a huge shift that we've seen across the nation, where now more than half of states have legalized sports betting in a, sh- a very short amount of time. So time will tell what that impact will be. Um, looking at the mobile sites, and we've done our, our testing here. I know the Casino Control Commission and Lottery Commission have been involved as well. I can't see how we could, I can't see a way to get past the age verification systems that are within the mobile sites. So I think they've done a phenomenal job in ensuring that the individual who is playing is actually that individual. Um, but time will tell uh, what further access will look like for you. Yeah, I've not done the sports betting at this point, but I understand you have to upload your driver's license, or there's there's some pretty complex ways to to prove who you are, right? Yes. So every uh, sports betting operator approaches it a little differently, but the common themes are uh, what they call is KYC, which is know your customer, and ensuring that there's methods and checks in place that is not the olden days of I solemnly swear that I'm over the age of 21 and you just check that little box or you put in your birth date or whatever birth date is the right age, uh, but they yeah, upload your driver's license, check your social security number, ask others uh, individual specific questions that most people would not know the answer to outside of that individual. Can people use their credit card? I mean, if, if you wanted to get on there and bet $5,000 using a credit card, can you do that? You, sh- I believe you can, and that's where especially using your credit card it is viewed from your credit card statement as a cash advance and then you'd be paying cash advance fees associated with that. Wow. So it's very different than buying your movie ticket as opposed to putting that $20 on a credit card through your mobile apps or um, within our sports books throughout the state. So just um, consumers beware with that, that you might be hit with a lot more charges than you anticipate. 
Talking with Derek Longmire from the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio. So tell us uh, some of the ways that people can figure out whether or not they have a problem with this, and, and how many people do have a problem with it? As we look in Ohio, we know about 1 in 10 Ohioans are at risk for developing a gambling problem. Looking specifically at sports betting, that number goes from 1 in 10 to about 1 in 4. So sports bettors are much more likely to be at risk for developing a gambling problem. And signs to look out for, the first one is just asking yourself, is it still fun? And if it's not still fun, then that might be an indication that maybe you need to take a break. Uh, The other is really making sure that you're setting your, your limits in both times and dollars. So if you say, well, I'm only going to play for X amount of time or I'm only going to spend X amount of dollars, if you go past that and you're consistently going past that, then those are two warning signs as well. And that's where you can check out our our statewide campaign, uh, Pause Before You Play, and that website is pausebeforeyouplay.org. And on it really, just as it says, uh, has some uh, resources and materials to make sure that before you place that first sports bet or before you place that next sports bet, you take that little pause, do your due due diligence, and make sure you know what you're getting into. So is there a common theme behind what finally prompts somebody to call for help? It's it's really all over the place and very individualistic. As we look specifically at the helpline, the two primary reasons that people call are because of financial issues or because of family issues or both because those two can overlap quite easily as well. So uh, many people that are calling aren't even calling for help with their gambling problem. It's, well, how do I, how do I help mend the relationships with my, my family because of my gambling problem? And when somebody does turn for help, you have multiple resources, and, and they're provided for through uh, funding that's generated by this gambling, right? low-cost or no-cost treatment services available throughout Ohio as part of our statewide system and through calling the Ohio Problem Gambling Helpline, again, that number, 800-589-9966, those specialists can help uh, go over some of the resources that might be available within your community. And if you want more in-depth conversation, then we work with the helpline and have gambling specialists on staff that can really go into some additional details about what what a treatment setting might look like, or if you're interested in exploring Gamblers Anonymous, really talking about the ins and outs of that, whether you go in person or online, uh, if you want to do some budget-limiting stuff or um, getting signed up for the statewide voluntary exclusion program, all those things are, are avenues and conversations that our staff can have with individuals that might be experiencing a problem and just want to know what the resources are. If somebody wants to go through all of this without you know, having some sort of contact that would easily be seen by somebody else in the family with them, a spouse or whoever, can they do all this relatively anonymously and, and keep a, an anonymous contact between whoever they're dealing with? Yes. Yeah, so any treatment agency that we have in the state uh, will not disclose that information unless that that individual says it's okay to, to share that information with a loved one. Uh, Gamblers Anonymous builds their whole system around the anonymity and support that comes from those lived experiences. So if, if someone is um, working with a, a challenge and they don't want their loved ones to know about it, then there's certainly avenues that they can take to, to get that support. Uh, but we also know that by bringing your family in, they can be that helpful network and that really supports recovery even more. You mentioned how somebody who uh, may be having a problem can go online to figure out more about it. What about uh, those who believe that someone 
they care for has this problem and they're maybe afraid to address it or feeling a little bit desperate about how to get help for someone like that? The Pause Before You Play website, again, pausebeforeyouplay.org, has individuals for or has resources for that individual gambler as well as their loved ones. And you can also, the, the Ohio Problem Gambling Helpline is available for anyone that needs that support, whether that be the individual gambler or their loved one. And treatment services can also be available for that loved one. Uh, because there's even if, even if that uh, gambler does not get the get treatment services, so there's a lot of resources that are available to really make sure that that help and hope are provided to those that need it. Talking with Derek Longmire, he's the executive director of the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio. Anything else you'd like to add? I think we covered the main points. Just uh, the the main focus that we have is pause before you play and really make sure you do that due diligence. And if you have loved ones that need support, that Ohio Problem Gambling Helpline is available 24-7-365. One last time, 800-589-9966. Great. Derek, uh, thanks so much for your time today. Sure appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM. That's 1460 ESPN Columbus. And Sunday morning at 7 on WBNSFM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.